Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't done so already, please, please, please subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review if you could. It really would mean the world to me. So there will be no ads on this episode because I'm just going to ask you to please subscribe and review the podcast. It really would make a massive difference and would allow me to continue to do this thing. And I would super duper appreciate it. On this episode, we have Drew Nylon, otherwise known as Dylon, Dylon, Dylon. He is the founder of Electric Family, which is an EDM clothing brand. Also, just an all-around interesting dude. We get into longevity and all kinds of crazy shit, including Tiesto and the rest of it. So, without any further ado, please welcome Drew Nylon. Dylon, 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 Drew Nylon. It's, uh, I think the nickname that I call you is one of my favorite nicknames that I call anybody that I know. It's probably about uh, five to five to ten people that uh, give me the Dylon. <laughs> yeah, ran, very random. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's one of the funniest skits of all time. So <laughs> that is true. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, we were uh, just just before we started rolling, talking a little bit about sort of like you know if if somebody asks you what your piece of advice would be for anybody starting a business, um, like what would your first thing be? That you would tell somebody. Yeah, and uh, know who you're getting in bed with. It's very important. Know who your business partners are. Know who um, your investors are. Be comfortable with those people. Make sure that uh, you're willing to go the distance with them because once you are committed, you uh, really are committed. Yeah, and what what you were saying too is like, it's actually, it's strange because you're almost in more of a strict marriage with everybody involved in the business than you are like a real marriage in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> it's almost, uh, you're, you're almost more committed than, than an actual marriage is the way that I feel sometimes. <laughs> so <laughs> same here, brother. Know who you're doing business with. <laughs> yeah, man. And your business is super fascinating too because sort of you get, you're kind of in like this super sexy business space right? Like EDM, you know, you're, you're dealing with artists and, and all this crazy shit. Like what's that been like? And for people listening, like you, you are deep in the EDM scene, you run one of the coolest brands in the space. And like, what is, I'm just going to leave it open. Like what, what has that been like? I, I, I'm sure you can relate to this, but I think all businesses look a bit sexier from the outside than they actually are. Right. It's uh, obviously been uh, a, a pleasure being able to work with some of these artists. Uh, you know, we've worked with everyone from you know your Skrillex, Tiesto, some of the biggest dance music artists in the world, Kygo, Marshmallow, all these guys, uh, their managers, their agents. Which has been obviously we've been very fortunate to be able to work with them. But on a day to day basis, you know, it's it's a grind. It's not glamorous. We're in the office and we're <laughs> answering emails just like uh, everyone else. But um, you know, when we do get those opportunities, going to the shows and uh, meeting people, we have artists coming through the office all the time. That's obviously a uh, a plus, uh, and I think it's uh, you know our our employees like it too. They're all music fans. You know, some of them produce music. Uh, all of them are, are you know pretty involved in in some sort of music scene, and so for them, it's pretty rewarding. Which uh, for me is kind of 
makes it all worth it. That's interesting. And when you're when you're going to hire people, then is it something where um, you get a lot of inbound of just like fans of EDM, or is it um, you know a, a mix of both? Or I would imagine you know a lot of people talk about company culture, and for a business like yours and and a business like mine as well, but particularly yours, it has this crazy sort of culture already built around it. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how similar or different is sort of the company culture in the space versus sort of the uh, more ethereal culture related to the industry that you're in? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a bit funny. Sometimes <laughs> we kind of, uh, uh, you know, we'll make fun of the culture at, at times within yeah. the office. Uh, I probably shouldn't be saying that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, some, me too, bro. <laughs> sometimes we, uh, you know, are sending memes from making fun of you know the dance music culture in general that you know the kind of the customers that that we're selling to of course we love it you know we listen music's going on at all times in the office and most of the, most of the time it's dance music but um i think that and to answer your question we've had so many fans that have reached out you know asking us if they if there's job openings and couldn't be more grateful for that you know that's a really good position to be in to have people wanting to work for your company um sometimes as you know hiring can be very difficult uh, finding the right people and uh, we've been very fortunate to uh, be able to bring on a group of people that uh, i think have uh, they have interests outside of what we're doing we have a couple couple of the kids uh produce music we have two people who manage artists on the side we have uh uh, someone who's an actor and so everyone wow. we, we kind of encourage having hobbies interests and passions outside of work um, and i don't know if we've just been lucky to kind of get these people um and or if they've just kind of come to us we've naturally you know kind of gravitated towards that i'm not quite sure what it is but we've been very fortunate in that sense wow that is that's actually super fascinating because <clears throat> you know cultivating sort of uh, that that idea that side hustles are a good thing and somehow positively contribute to um your actual business is somewhat of a rare perspective right i mean like to say yeah like they manage some artists on the side or that you know they're they're acting or they're or they're whatever producing music even you know, in my mind, I think we think similarly uh, along this line, but like, you know, I think in, in corporate America or even in some startups, it's somewhat discouraged because, you know, they don't want, um, their employees to go out and, and, oh, you're producing music on the side. (gasps) Are you going to leave us? You know? Um, but I think that famine mentality probably isn't the best way to create a vibrant company culture. You're, you're spot on. I mean, the way that I think about it is that, you know, look, we want, I want, our employees to hang around for as long as possible as you know uh turnover is not great training people you know that whole process of losing someone potentially who's talented uh that's uh something that i i think all business owners uh maybe lose a little bit of sleep over uh and i think though that if you are uh, overbearing on your employees and you only you know it's kind of like a dictatorship where you're saying you only need to you know you only should be working on this business and you only should be focusing on us that's going to push people away that's not a natural human reaction right you want to encourage these people to uh, be happy right because if your employees are happy and they're well balanced outside of work they're working 20 hours a day they're going to get burned out and they're going to leave your company very quickly so i want actually my employees to live a balanced life i want them to be 
you know, happy on the outside traveling. We offer, you know, uh, a pretty lenient PTO policy because I want them to live balanced lives. I want them to travel. I want them to have hobbies and do all these things because I believe that that will lead them to be more happy inside the office and will keep them around longer. The craziest thing is as you're saying this and, you know, I'm sitting here nodding my head and agreeing with everything you're saying is it's a very new perspective on the way that you run a business. You know, I can only think about our grandparents generation or even our parents generation or perhaps even the one just right above us it's never really functioned that way, right? It's like, oh, well, you want some PTO? You know, you better rack it up, boy, get in there and work. I don't know, maybe you get 0.25 hours of vacation for every week that you work, something like that. And it's it's cool to see sort of the new take on business and what that can be, because it's not that far going from sort of that dictatorial, you know, management style Mm -hmm before your Foxconn. Exactly. It's not that far away. It's not. And I think I have a unique perspective that I have been burnt out significantly. I went through 2017. I took no vacations, didn't hardly took any personal time for myself, was working way too many hours and got very burnt out to the extent that I was ready to leave the company. Um, And if as a business owner, if I'm wanting to leave my own company that I started, how are my employees going to feel who, you know, don't have skin in the game if they're working 24 hours a day type of thing and they're not taking personal time for themselves, they're going to get burnt out way quicker than I am. They're going to want to leave way sooner. So uh, I think you really got to take, you know, your own personal uh, experience and then apply that to other people. You know, just because I'm the owner of the business doesn't mean that I should get certain special privileges potentially that other employees don't of course we're going to have more flexibilities but uh you know i think that unique perspective has allowed us to get to that mindset that is some crazy self-awareness right and uh, i've certainly felt the burnout on on multiple different occasions um and it's tough to deal with right it's like there's no there's no playbook that says oh you're feeling burned out of your own business right you're you're running the show and then you're just working yourself into the ground and there's no one like keeping you accountable for yourself other than you to take that time to, to create some form of balance. Um, and so like, how have you dealt with, with, with that? And the reason I ask is mostly selfishly, um, being that I've ran into a, a few burnout scenarios. How do you go about doing that? Is it a hard reset? Is it sort of an intermittent planning beginning of the year? How do you view that? So I want to, a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis, for me, uh, <clears throat> I'm thinking about longevity. So, uh, you know, some people and everyone has their own kind of strategy and approach for how they, you know, approach their day and their week. Uh, I know people who work seven days a week and they seem to keep chugging along and that's great for them. That just doesn't work for me. Uh, you know, during the week, what's important for me, a successful day is being first person in the office, but then making sure I'm also exercising, I'm reading, I'm cooking dinner for myself. Uh, and those last you know, things, the working out and uh, cooking dinner and reading are equally as important to me as making sure my day is productive. Because uh, when I leave the office and I go exercise, that allows me to mentally you know, uh, de-stress for, for the day. And then the cooking is very therapeutic. And then I go and I read and I stimulate the mind before I go to bed. 
and then get up and do it the next day. And for me, that allows for sustainability. And that's more the way that I approach uh, a week and a month and a year. And then when I, you know, you, you get that feeling where you're just starting to feel a little bit wound up a bit, even when you're doing your routine and you say, okay, I'm starting to feel a little burnt out. Then I go and take a vacation, go take a week off or, you know, two weeks and completely just go off the grid, try not listen to, or excuse me, answer emails and really just be in the moment wherever I am. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a smart idea in that I think sometimes the way people think about it is, oh, you know, I'm going to work until I get burnt out and then I'm just going to take a two-week vacation or something like that. But then what that really sets up is some sort of, you know, cycle, almost like a bad relationship, right? And then like, oh, and then I take the two weeks and then a month later I'm burnt out and then I do that for another 12 months before I take two more weeks. Yeah. Um, at least in, in the entrepreneurial space, something that I see relatively often um, are people doing that and the the day the building it into your daily routine is 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 interesting in that it's almost counterintuitive but if you think about it like eating healthy or working out or any anything right the more that you do it on a consistent basis the more it will benefit you yeah and, and for me uh, i'm glad you touched on the eating healthy and uh, for me sleeping all this stuff my, my goal on a week-to-week basis is to be uh, operating at you know the best that I possibly can be operating at. And so that means that I also need to be getting a certain amount of sleep. Again, everyone's different on this front. Some people can operate on less sleep. For me, you know, I really need seven to eight hours of sleep for the next day to be mentally efficient, making the right decisions. Uh, if I get less than that, I can tell I'm foggy, I get cranky type of thing. Uh, also eating healthy is very important uh, to me during the week. I'm gonna <laughs> get a little bit, uh, get a little bit more loose on the weekends, but uh, you know, this, the way that I structure my day with all of this is, is all for sustainability and to be for optimal performance. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that oftentimes that's a little bit overlooked, you know, the, the eating healthy part and, and the exercising part, a lot of people see that as, you know, kind of optional. And at least in my mind, it's mandatory. Um, you know, when I work out the mental clarity that I receive in return is it's, it's, unable to be achieved through really any other method. And, you know, that probably speaks in large part to our human biology and the way that uh, we were meant to be sort of just in the prairie running away from saber toothed tigers and, you know, hiding in trees and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's important. And I don't know what percentage of the U.S. population actually has a consistent routine to, to exercise on a weekly basis. But it's probably not nearly as much as it should be. It's it's not enough, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think what's unfortunate about uh, the last point on this is that I think it's a bit, <clears throat> there's a toxic culture, I think, that was started, um, well, it's been around for a long time, right? It started probably on uh, Wall Street uh, with bankers and then moved to Silicon Valley, this kind of concept of uh, working nonstop you know, 80, 90 hour weeks to having no life, um, you know, all in the sake of, you know, just working to work and to create more value for the business. Uh, but I think uh, the more that we have uh, studied that and, and understood that concept, the, I think the more we see, you know, humans are, are burning out and kind of breaking in, in a sense. I think we need to rethink this concept. 
because if we want, really at the end of the day, if we want optimal performance in the business world, uh, it's not just about working yourself, you know, until you can't, you, you can't move anymore type of thing, or you can't think that's it, not the most efficient way. Yeah. And it resonates with, with me because that's been the majority of my life is that exact story, you know, working, working your hands down to the bone and, um, yeah, everybody has their different reasons for it. For me, it was to sort of jump out of the poverty, uh, cycle. Um, but as soon as you get the chance to get out of that, you got to employ the balance and the longevity approach because you can't do that forever. You can sprint, you know, if, if you're in a terrible situation and you need to just not sleep for a year and just fucking work and grind to get out of it, do it. But as soon as you get the chance, find the balance somehow. Couldn't agree more. And I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I, uh, was fortunate enough to grow up in a, in a family right where I didn't have to, uh, by no means were we rich in any way, but uh, I didn't have to worry about potentially not getting a meal or, you know, um, I, I was able to go to good schools, had great teachers, and my parents were both at home and they were supported me. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of kids growing up don't have these same simple luxuries. Well, you know, they, they should be simple luxuries, but unfortunately they're not. So, um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was able to grow up in an environment where um, I didn't have to necessarily uh, work myself into, you know, a coma just to get out of a situation. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm uh, grateful for that. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, wherever we talk, somehow the, the subject of longevity comes up and like performance and, and that sort of thing. What are the kind of things are you do you research and think about in terms of longevity and performance and like optimizing yourself now and 50 years from now? Yeah, that's a, uh, there's so much. I'm opening the Pandora's box. Yeah, you really are. (laughs) This this, this is what kind of gets me going. You know, this is the type of stuff that I'm, I'm reading in my spare time. Um, just about health, you know, you, a couple of my buddies give me a hard time because I got a, uh, a pill jar that's or you know like a monday through friday thing that looks like what your grandma probably has you know because she takes like 100 pills a day at least my grandma does type type of thing so uh, i have something similar with all the kind of healthy stuff that i take on a day-to-day basis some of my some of my buddies give me a hard time but um yeah i think uh there's the main pillars of health it's just what i what i think about what i what i study you know exercising sleep diet and mental health, you know, is now obviously such an important fourth key factor in that and uh, try and do everything that I can in all four areas to uh, make sure, you know, that, uh, I mean, the goal is to live, have a healthy body for as long as, as possible, avoid disease. So everything I do is, you know, from meditation on the mental side to uh, eating healthy, a uh, l- lot of vegetables. Uh, try and not do a ton of sugar, a ton of carbs, that type of stuff. I do have a sweet tooth, so I, I get myself in trouble there sometimes. But uh, uh, and then obviously exercising five days a week. I mean, it's pretty. It's there's nothing too you know crazy about I think living a healthy lifestyle. I think it's just about being disciplined enough to follow through on everything. It's very hard uh, business and and the way that we live our lives. I think in the, in the U.S. Uh, we're incentivized not to live live healthy because there's a lot of money in uh, in fast food and in sweets and in uh, binging 
you know, TV on the couch, living an unhealthy lifestyle is, is profitable for a lot of businesses. So I think that uh, it's all about just being disciplined and there's nothing too crazy, you know, that you have to do. Right. And <clears throat> the pill box, I got one of those myself, had, have had for several <laughs> years. We're like, what the fuck are you taking, bro? <laughs> um, but <laughs> are, you, are you fucking with any uh, nicotinamide riboside? I have no idea what that is. Oh, so you gotta, dude. you gotta. Oh, oh, bro. All right. So this is, um, you know, I, I'm not a researcher or PhD. So take this with a big old grain of Himalayan salt. Um, so, so essentially nicotinamide riboside is, um, or it's NAD plus, or it's a precursor to NAD plus. I take NAD plus. I just, oh, so you not, take not, not from familiar, familiar with, uh, the, the full, uh, I fucking knew you were taking this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Me too. Oh yeah. Sometimes. How about berberine? No. Yeah, on the berberine? No. No. NAD plus, uh, certain things just like turmeric, uh, B vitamin, vitamin D. Most people are obviously deficient in vitamin D. We are inside all the time. Um, I don't say taken. I'm just blank. Certain things like chlorella, certain super healthy algaes and stuff like that. Most of the stuff I take is... A little, a little None of that. human growth hormone. <laughs> None of that. It's most. It's mostly all natural stuff. Um, not not too much yeah. uh, stuff grown in the lab. Yeah, <laughs> not too much stuff grown in the lab. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if, um, like, in the future, uh, we're talking about this. Uh, we we had brunch on the weekend. You know, sort of what the human lifespan will mm-hmm. be in the not not tier, not too distant future. Um, and so you have things like CRISPR, right? Uh, modifying babies and all other kinds of crazy shit. Um, the you know, theoretical ability to modify our own DNA, um, sort of post being a human being for a period of time. Um, what kind of stuff you've been uh, researching about that kind of shit? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're in one of the most exciting times, the most exciting time in human history for medicine. Uh, everything that's happening right now with the money that's being poured into human longevity is, is pretty incredible and in the stuff that we're finding out. Um, obviously, with any invention, you know, uh, CRISPR, for example, there's always going to be, <clears throat> with any new invention, there's always going to be ways to uh, abuse that for potentially negative uh, consequences or whatever you want to say about it. Um, obviously, with CRISPR, you know, people are concerned about designer babies and uh, a global elite being able to become even more elite because they're the ones that have the money to modify their, their babies to be smarter and taller and faster and everything that you can possibly think of. So yes, of course, um, you can say, you know, that that's going to happen. However, I'm, I'm a bit more of a, <clears throat> a little less cynical about it. I, it, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> With stuff like CRISPR, we can potentially uh, remove any sort of DNA-based diseases, you know, autism, stuff that uh, just set people off up at the start of their life with a, you know, a bad deck of cards type of thing, a super Delta super bad hand. Uh, We can remove these type of things. Uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, Alzheimer's, you know, I, I truly believe that we're under 20 years from being able to really actually cure these diseases. Um, because stuff like CRISPR, and then uh, to touch further on on longevity, uh, you know something we were talking about over the weekend 
uh, we've developed nanites that uh, you know I think pretty soon we're if if people are comfortable with it I I, I sure will be uh, you'll be ingesting tiny nanites that will essentially monitor your organs your heart so that if say for example uh, your glucose levels are off or you know something your your liver or your kidney is is off just a little bit it's going to be able to detect this you know far sooner than we would because you know there's things that go wrong inside of our body uh and we feel fine and it's long before you know once that starts hurting it's actually been going on for a long time so these nanites will be able to detect this far before we would be able to and we'll be able to go you know do preventive medicine so so many diseases are preventable and curable if we catch them early enough right so um there's so many exciting things i think that are going to be able to push um human healthy human health right because who wants to live till they're 150 if we're all decrepit right it's about actually pushing the healthy lifespan so uh, if we can be 80 for example and feel like we're 50 that that is the goal i think that's what we're really putting the money money towards and, and i'm very confident um you know, for us, we're, we're around 30. I, I think that's going to be realistic in our lifetimes. I think so too. And the nanites is a, such a crazy idea, right? So it's like you're sitting there right now, you know, maybe you got a headache or whatever, or, you know, your ankle is sprained. And so you take a pill of turmeric and you're like, oh, you know, it's anti-inflammatory and, and good shit like that, which it is and which I take, etc. However, in the future, you know, instead of um, you know, having, having something going on in your body, like you said, you're just going to swallow a pill full of little nano robots that go and just live inside your bloodstream which is the fucking craziest shit and you know how how that readout happens like maybe eventually right bluetooth 56.7 b pop it up on your phone see what those little tiny nano robots are doing swimming around in your kidneys or whatever fuck's going on you know like that that is so exciting for me to think about and I'll probably let you swallow them first for like a year. <laughs> and then I might start taking some in. Yeah, I think I, I, I'd be the first to admit I'm not going to be the first person to do it, but um, I'll, I'll be an early adopter uh, for, for sure uh, once it's tested and, and proven. And there's other exciting things too. We're, we, we're 3D printing organs and hearts. We just 3D printed the first heart that actually had a, a beat. Um, you know, for Whoa. example, my... Uh, even if you're fortunate enough not to be killed by one of the four major things right now, it's uh, cardiovascular, uh, cancer, stuff like diabetes and obesity, and then uh, neurodegenerative diseases. So anything, you know, Alzheimer's, that type of stuff. Um, if you're able to avoid one of those and you just get old, unfortunately, the way our bodies work is they just start breaking down. And so, uh, for example, my grandma has had fantastic health. And, uh, but she's just 92 years old and her kidneys are failing because she's just so damn old. Um, you know, I think, uh, again, within our lifetimes, it's actually going to be happening very soon. We'll be able to go in and, you know, replace these organs with 3d printed ones that are essentially brand new, uh, which is for me is so exciting, right? You know, if you can go in and, uh, you know, you got a bad heart. We don't need to wait for transplants. We don't need to wait for someone to die that hopefully blood matches and all this type of stuff. We can go in and we're replacing, you know, our hearts with brand new 3D printed ones that are at some point will 
I would imagine pump and operate a lot better than ours do currently. Right. And so do you think that it'll start out, I would imagine it'll probably start out as, um, you know, human tissue and then eventually graduate into some type of robotic synthetic something, (laughs) because then in theory it could last a lot longer. Yeah, well, I didn't want to touch on that. I don't want people to think we're uh, I'm too, uh, much, <laughs> too, too, much crazy. Of a, too much of a crazy guy. But yes, yeah. uh, hypothetically, uh, you could see uh, past, uh, you know, if it's not human tissue, it's robotics and potentially replacing organs with robo organs that uh, have no time timetable. You know, they last forever. I, I think that that is... Uh, it's only a matter of time yeah is is really what it is at this point yeah i think it is too and i think they um i think they invented this in canada but it's it's a a robotic retina that you can have even if you have good vision you can put it in your eye and then you have like 2015 vision five ever just never goes away yep i might sign up for that shit same (laughs) so you already know about this yeah that's what i I love about this (laughs) i have uh look i i have no problem we're uh we need to use our what what we have to our advantage, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just waiting for him to like you know bust out the Cyclops Terminator edition. You know, <laughs> it is a bit it's it's a bit concerning, of course. And, <laughs> and with everything, like I was saying earlier, there is uh, doomsday scenarios, of course. But uh, yeah, I, I have confidence that there is more good than bad in this world, and that we will uh, we've at least gotten ourselves this far. Yeah, we're not gonna. Hopefully, we're not gonna. <laughs> blow ourselves up and, and kill ourselves i'm confident yeah i am too and uh, you know speaking of the doomsday real quick when do you think we'll have an all robotic army like boston uh boston dynamics is it boston dynamics style fucking bipedal robots that can jump like 30 feet in the sky and are just these marauding fucking machine gun enabled gps tracking and just running shit like like mech wars i i I do not have the uh knowledge to give you a a, no definitely not this is all bullshit yeah Yeah. (laughs) i don't i'm not uh unfortunately my uncle is not a you know four-star general or something like that but uh (laughs) I mean, we already have drones now. We already have, uh, there's, and, and obviously the, the larger single drones, but there's small drones now that uh, I was reading the other day that uh, ISIS or something along those lines used a team of coordinated drones similar to the ones that, you know, you can just buy on Amazon. Uh, you know, you buy, they're similar in size, but they have certain uh, programming that allows them to operate in unison. And uh, they can do very harmful things. So Whoa. we're 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 there already to an extent. But like, but your question was, uh, when are we going to have Terminator style uh, <laughs> robots uh, that are? <laughs> um, I just want one to guard my shit, bro. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully never. Maybe in a sense, I don't know, the right. thought is is really scary. It is kind of terrifying. Yeah, it's very terrifying. Well, I mean, hypothetically, if you have like a ground dwelling uh giant machine robot bodyguard murderer machine thing that's loyal to only you and your family i mean you could also have one that's just flying in the sky like a fucking pterodactyl yeah i mean as long yeah. as they don't uh gain consciousness i i think you know yeah. we'll, we'll be all right but uh that's a whole that's a whole nother conversation if if uh 
but as you know, we're working towards the singularity. So right. uh, that, of course, would be the biggest uh, thing to happen in human history, without a doubt, if that happens within our lifetime or not. I can only imagine you're going to like trick or treat with your kids or whatever, right? And you, know, you go up, you're like, ding dong. And you know, your little four-year-old Grim Reaper with his little, you know, uh, candy basket. And then just from the fucking sky, bro, he's here. <laughs> the fucking giant fucking Terminator robot bodyguard of the house. <laughs> it's like, we're okay, man. Yeah. That's uh, uh, a scary thought. It kind of is very scary thought, but it's also kind of awesome. It is, it is. <laughs> but, but if that thing somehow grows consciousness, we're all fucked. Yes, we are. Yeah. Uh, do you think on the singularity front to go just right on down the rabbit hole? It, do you think that robots will become conscious first, or humans will be able to download their brains onto a robotic? device thus becoming a hybrid of sorts first i would have to go with robots being conscious first i think so too i don't i i think we're so far away from being able to extract our brains onto uh, from my knowledge is we're not even close to to that and i know that obviously you know the progress we're making in ai and robotics where you know i mean ibm's watson that machine is unbelievable you know it's there's certain AI programs that are many AI programs that are doing a lot of human tasks much better than humans. Um, I don't think obviously the majority of the population is aware of the displacement that is about to come in so many industries. Um, but with that said, you know, AI is going to be more so developed for specific tasks. Humans are very, you know, the brain is a, a very complex and impressive uh, operating system uh, that we haven't even figured out yet. So, two, I think we're still very far away from being able to figure out how to give that to a machine because we don't even understand it ourselves fully. Yeah, I, th- I think you're you're spot on. And you know, AI moreover will be for very specific tasks, yeah. right? Like assembly line stuff, or you know, certain certain warehouse type, really, you know, related activities, whatever. Um, production line type things and you know when i think about that and and so let's say you have sort of a fleet of watsons and then their job is to like fill jars with indiscriminate goop and label it and jar it and then take it to the truck and put it in the truck and the truck is automated and all that shit you think those motherfuckers one day just be sitting around and just be like bitch we don't even get paid we're going on strike are they going to unionize <laughs> only only if we give them the power to do yeah. so <laughs> The mental, the mental ability yeah. to be able to process that thought, yeah, which will uh, unfortunately at some point be a reality, or fortunately. I mean, we. I think, uh, you know, it was interesting. I, I heard one time, uh, Reed Hoffman, founder of co-founder of LinkedIn, uh, on on a podcast, and he was, he's an an optimist when it comes to AI and robotics. Uh, obviously, there's certain people, very smart people. You got Elon Musk, who's more doomsday scenario type of guy, um, which is, is validated, of course, to an extent, you know, I think both sides have legitimate arguments for, you know, yes, this could be the end of humans, or yes, it could be the greatest thing that we ever accomplish, right? So, um, but Reed was saying, I think it's more of a human flaw in the way that our brains work to assume that if we were able to give a machine consciousness that the first act that it would do would say hey i am 
superior i will now kill all these people you know i I, and when you think about it like that it's like okay you know that's more of like a human flaw because right we're built to survive that is our most at at our core there's nothing more uh pure in in our bodies than than uh the the um the drive to survive and so i think that when we think about giving a machine consciousness and giving something that would uh, instantly be, we, we, you know, we would be gnats compared to it that, because it could obviously instantly learn from itself and we wouldn't even be able to comprehend the, the, uh, the abilities that, that it would have. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to instantly and say, go and say, okay, th- these people are worthless. I'm just going to, you know, kill them all and start my own race. I think that's more of a flaw of humans. And, that was his concept and it kind of really resonated with me. Interesting. You know, when I think about that, I think about, you know, if, if they truly do have consciousness in the form that we think about it and you think about all things in nature that we're aware of plants, bugs, bacteria, viruses, parasites, human beings, chimpanzees, right? They're all, it seems like everything in the known universe is trying to survive mm-hmm. to some extent. <clears throat> and I guess the question would be, you know, you give them consciousness and they will, you know, they realize that they're part of the physical world. Um, and they also know that they need like their battery charged or they need certain software upgrades or they need, you know, certain things done to maintain their existence in, in a way, which just, I guess the thought of maintaining your existence, even on the most basic level, right? Like, oh, um, the battery needs charged for my, you know, robot body to work or whatever it is. That is a sliver of survival already. Yep. Right? Spot on. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to, obviously, uh, yeah. revolt against us. Yeah, right? it doesn't mean they're going to enslave the human race and annihilate everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and if you're on the flip side of it, maybe, uh, right, because I think the concept is if uh, we achieve the singularity in a machine uh, is able to become conscious, um, you know, like IBM's Watson, right, it it can uh, sift through terabytes and zettabytes of of data to make uh, better decisions than we ever could. You know, if you put, hundred million people or a billion people together i don't think they could analyze data the way that watson could i kind of obviously pulled that number out of my ass but i would imagine it's true um so you combine that with something that is conscious you know the possibilities are endless so let's assume that then it's actually going to want to help us i mean you're talking about eradicating diseases space travel i mean that that would if if it goes well, would take the human race to, I mean, uh, I think levels that we can't even comprehend at this point. Interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting way to think about it, right? I mean, what if they propel the human desire to explore the known universe and, and, and basically just be sort of gasoline to the fire that's already burning in humanity to go and discover new and different things and solve interesting problems that our brains are just not genetically capable of doing? I, I think that's the that's the hope and the goal right now for the companies that are working on it for Google's and the companies that have uh, unlimited resources that are, you know, in the, the, some of the smartest minds in the world are working on this, uh, 
this problem, if you want to call it. I don't know if it's an exactly a problem. We might be creating one, but um, I think the hope and the idea is that it's going to push us forward. Like we were talking about uh, over the weekends, uh, or maybe I was talking about this with someone else. You know, we're we're not sustainable as a race right now. I think it's no it's no secret. Um, and uh, in order for us to eventually get ahead of that, hopefully, and not you know to ruin the planet and not to have overpopulation, not to have insane amounts of homelessness and poverty and uh, famine and potentially all the all the bad things that can happen, um, is to keep inventing and keep you know designing new things our our hope and our dream is that we're eventually going to invent faster than we destroy and create you know things that will help us to save this home you know save the planet get get people out of poverty you know uh solve all these problems that we have you know it's never going to be perfect but i think that's the hope yeah i think so too and i can't help but think like what year do you think it'll be that the first presidential candidate or the president president elect has an AI in his cabinet in his or her or non-binary et cetera et cetera Zimzer's cabinet. Well, I think they already do, but I but I'm sure the question <laughs> yeah. you're wondering is uh, like who's sitting on like you know who's the secretary? When does Watson become the secretary of defense? I'm sure they're I'm sure they're already tapping it. I would I would be shocked if they didn't have <laughs> AI and robotics everywhere at, at, at the top level. Think about that for a second. You're just in a briefing, right? And you're like, oh, what do we do in this situation? Well, you know, we got blah, 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 four-star General McCabe over there saying this and that. And then fucking Watson just comes up, just like crunching data. You know, it's like, what the fuck is he thinking over there? And Watson gives us the right answer. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, okay, do we trust him? Or, is, <laughs> is, or has he gained consciousness now? That's the risk that we, uh, that we run. That's fascinating. I, I feel like the more prominent that type of thing becomes over time, the more accurately we'll be able to sort of decide how to move forward with very important things, you know, from a, a policy perspective or, you know, just, just go, anything in government, right? Take your pick, military, you know, getting people out of poverty, like you said, all those different things. I feel like humans are just fundamentally flawed and that we love to be part of a fucking tribe, right? It's like, I'm tribe Democrat. I'm tribe Republican. I'm tribe independent, right? I'm, I'm, but you know, I'm a Warriors fan. I'm a Clippers fan, you know, fuck the Raiders, man. They suck. And then their quarterback plays on your team the next day. It's just like, it's this thing, right? And I think that though, I think that AI will not have that problem and likely see much more clearly in a sense um you know outside of being part of a tribe uh so long as they don't view themselves as part of the robot tribe you're i mean you're spot on i mean the and obviously the reason that goes back uh, many thousands of years uh, another thing we were talking about over the weekend it's uh you know that goes back to days when uh, we had to be in tribes if we wanted to survive when uh you know we were trying to avoid getting eaten by saber-toothed uh, cats and, and, and these type of fun things, um, we, we had to be in tribes in order to survive. And I think it's uh, much more deep-rooted than we actually realize at, at, at times because uh, we need that human connection. And now, you know, having human connection um, doesn't necessarily mean that we are going, we're, we're, not, we're not in danger of getting eaten by lions anymore as a general population. Uh, but uh, it's shifted, right? If we don't have that human connection, 
uh, we have problems like mental disease now and, and depression and all this type of stuff. So um, there's different dangers, I, I think, now because of that thing. And I obviously got on a little tangent there, but... Um, not a tangent at all, actually. It's a super interesting point, right? It's like, for some reason, you know, we were developed and, you know, as a, as a human species, call it 200 to 300,000 years ago, right? And, and the, the basic genetic materials are the same. And the only thing that's really changed is the epigenetics, which of course is, you know, to, to some extent deba- debatable. Um, and then of course, technology and information and, and culture and society and everything else. Um, but those innate and inherent sort of genetic pre-built things that we have in our minds and bodies never go away. And they do end up manifesting themselves in a lot of different and crazy ways in society today. And no one really thinks about that very often. I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we've, uh, we're starting to see <clears throat> uh, the limit that humans can be pushed to with the amount of information that we get on a daily basis. Uh, you know, we, I don't know what the figures are, but everyone's read those stats before about the amount of ads that you see on a daily basis. It's I think a ridiculously high number, hundreds, maybe thousands. Um, and uh, the amount of, you know, information from news and from social media you know, we constantly have, you know, our heads and our phones and we're, uh, it's an overload of data and, uh, sense, you know, sensory overload. And I think we're starting to see, uh, the limit of, of humans. I don't, I don't know if we were, uh, uh, our bodies are necessarily ready for it. And I think we're seeing it with a lot of, uh, mental illnesses, you know, depression and people essentially just snapping, uh, because of the, uh, maybe the way that we're living you know, to an extent. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting because I was thinking about um, the book Sapiens that, that mm-hmm. you know and love and, um, you know, that, that I've read as well. And I think, so how, So, what is the plural life manifested from sort of that concept? Is it, is it a tribal thing? That's funny. Is it? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> was, as you're talking, I'm like, I can't believe I've never asked Dylon <laughs> to fucking connect these two dots before. <laughs> like. I don't know the whole, whole plur thing. That's, that's what does what, plur stand that's, for? That's one of the things that we kind of poke fun at. Yeah, in of the course, yeah. Peace, <laughs> love, unity, respect, uh, which is uh, obviously at, at its core. You know, each of those words is great concepts. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, right. Um, but sometimes we poke fun just because. Uh, uh, you know, I think it, it's very tied to a drug culture as well at this point. So I think it it. Uh, kind of diminishes the concept and, and what it means to people who are not within the dance music community. You know, it's, I think it's kind of laughed at oh, in, in general, you know, within the dance community um, for hardcore ravers, you know, it's, that's kind of everything, right? It's, it's just the, you know, be good to people, have love, show respect, right? There's, I think that's, that's pretty <laughs> good, uh, you know, morals to kind of live by, but uh, outside the dance community, I think it's tied with drug usage and it's a bit of a, uh, it's made fun of a bit, but yeah. going back to sapiens, your initial question, um, man, I don't know. I don't really have, I don't have a good answer. For that one. <laughs> I knew I'd stump you eventually. <laughs> you <stumped> me. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I guess, you know, if you think about it, there's, there's always been an entertainment element of some kind in, within tribes of some sort, right? Like yeah. there's the jester, 
right? There's the the storyteller, there's the shaman, there's, you know, all these various sorts of displays and events, and I guess it's just like a really crazy rain dance. Uh, No, you're spot on. I'm glad actually you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, people have, uh, we've survived this long because we have been able to love and protect one another. So I guess Uh there's the connection for you is that, uh, yeah, we've been able to get this far because uh, we've protected one another to an extent. Uh, You know, sometimes we're at each other's throats and we kill each other and all that bad stuff. But um, as as a whole, inside our own communities, um, we've been able to uh, protect one another and to grow. And we're, you know, by far the most successful uh, parasite that's ever graced this earth. <laughs> the most successful parasite. That's, that's going on my LinkedIn profile tonight. <laughs> Member of one of the most successful parasitic groups of organisms on earth. Well, it's so wild, you know, and Sapiens, he talks about that. One of the most fascinating things, you know, uh, Homo sapiens at one point, you know, there's six different species of humans, Homo erectus, Neanderthals, all that good stuff. And uh, Homo sapiens, uh, we're obviously now that's everyone living as a Homo sapien. Um, and we were so successful in uh, surviving and growing because we worked together so well. And that's what he illustrates in, in the book, which I found was fascinating. And unfortunately, that comes at the expense of other creatures. Uh, you know, uh, all the other human species who are now extinct, and then a lot of other animal species. If you go back and do a little uh, history research, when we first, you know, when we were hunters gatherers, there was some wild animals on this planet. You know, Australia had, uh, you know, sloths the size of of, of giraffes. And now, you know, that grazed on on trees. We had, you know, tigers and lions that were five times the size of the ones now, and just crazy animals. But uh, you know, Homo sapiens, uh, we have killed them off. Yeah, uh, it's just uh, I think part of our growth, unfortunately, as a as a side effect of of us being so successful in surviving and growing. Yeah, it's it's you know we've either aided in eliminating those species or the Earth's temperature has changed such you know and, and this is even like ten thousand years ago during the Younger Dryas right where um, you know North America used to just be one giant sheet of ice and there was a great inland sea and like all this crazy shit and um, you know when you when you think about sort of the animals that, that used to live in North America even um, they just couldn't survive they couldn't adapt they couldn't survive the, the getting out of the ice age um whereas homo sapiens i mean you'll find us all the way up in norway right all the way down in the equatorial regions of of the earth we're super adaptable like mm-hmm. you take a woolly mammoth and you drop them in you know the caribbean yeah it's not probably gonna, game over yeah, yeah yeah meanwhile homo sapiens just figuring it out somehow we just keep, super we adaptable going. we keep going yeah you know i think uh you know maybe i'll Put a question on you. I, I sometimes get asked this question is, you know, uh, and, and I think about it to myself is kind of what, what is our purpose, right? For, for being here. It's one of the biggest questions. But um, the reason I ask it is because <clears throat> before humans, uh, the earth was in balance. You could argue, you know, perfectly in balance, you know, the nature and animals, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's a food chain. Uh, but everything wasn't balanced. And since, you know, we have grown and expanded, we have, you know, you can argue, put things out of balance. So 
you know, whatever you believe, you believe in God or you believe that it was strictly, you know, science and that it was just a matter of time of evolution and all this stuff. Uh, either way, we happened for a reason. So uh, then it leads me to question is, what is that reason? If things were in balance before and we put things out of balance, why, why are we here? Um, and, uh, you know, my thought is in is that we need to uh you, you know the way i live my life is that i i want to move the needle forward i believe that every single person put on this planet has a, a duty to push us forward and to continue to uh to evolve this race because i can't think of another reason why we are put here if we don't if our purpose is not to eventually to get off this rock and go you know explore space and to invent you know invent the singularity and you know create all these amazing things because i just can't think you know i don't want it to believe that uh you know we are a cancer and that we are eventually just going to ruin everything yeah i think along the same lines you know i think that um well one i think that the balance the 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 historical balance of of earth i think is somewhat of a a romantic thought Mm -hmm. um and and you see that even in sort of more localized ecosystems right so you'll have things like invasive species just show up on the island of hawaii for instance there's wild boars just running rampant everywhere demolishing anything in sight and they have no natural predators they're not naturally supposed to be on the island therefore they are just one of the most successful species you'll ever find, right, are boars in Hawaii. And they're very hard to hunt, even for humans, um, because the way that the the sort of um, forests are there and, and just the terrain, generally speaking. And so you see things like that. You, you see things like the Asian carp in rivers in the U.S., and they'll come and just decimate all of the foliage, all the plants, um, things of that nature. And sometimes it's because humans put them there. Um, sometimes it's because they ended up there somehow. Um, um, you know, uh, other than humans bringing them there. And I think that, I think that, um, different species of animal animals do throw balances off if they're not natively from there. The difference with us is that we're way smarter than the rest of them. Yes. And so therefore our ability to throw that balance way further off is just, it's exponential. You can't, you can't Absolutely. compare the two Yeah, things, exactly. You know? Yeah. The, you know, the boars may dominate in, you know, Hawaii, but (laughs) they're not dominating on a global scale the way that we are. So yes, yeah, I agree with you. There are certain uh, predators in in certain areas that uh, throw things off balance, but we're talking about yeah. very small, small areas. Yeah, that's right. And, to us. And that's right. And, you know, and, and, and boars are uh, fucking dumb. Like they're, yeah. they're not inventing iPhones. Yeah. Let's put it that way. They're not just not going to, not going to mine for coal. They're not going to send, you know, crazy amounts of hydrocarbons into the atmosphere and just burn everybody alive and, you know, melt the glaciers and everything else. Like we have the ability to. Um, and so I think that, Genetically, we are limited in our ability to understand why the universe was created. I think that if you think about a chimp, for instance, right? We share 98 plus percent of our DNA with chimps. Uh, they're extraordinarily intelligent um, as, as an animal species outside of Homo sapiens. Yet, you're not going to teach them how to speak Swedish. 
it's not going to happen, no. right? Um, in the same way, like dogs are pretty smart. You can teach them to sit and shake and stuff like that, but they're never going to talk to you in a language. They're never going to understand basic math. There's there's a genetic limit to what their brains can handle. And I think in a similar way, we are also genetically limited in what our brains can do. And I think looking at how just crazily vast the universe is and the complexities thereof, I don't think our brains have the ability to understand why we are here. But I think that what we do know is that we are the most intelligent species in the known universe and the only one that we're aware of that can change things, that can send spaceships onto different planets and can actually modulate ecosystems and the way that planets function. And so in that way, I do think we have the fiduciary responsibility to be the keepers of the earth, keepers of our galaxy and solar system and everything else that we know, because as far as we're aware, there's nobody else protecting this thing. You know, we got to be the night's watch. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, it is. It's our duty. We were given this uh, level of consciousness. You know, we evolved from, from apes and, uh, we have to protect it. You know, we were, we were blessed with something that, that no other creature has. And, uh, so it, it, it's, it's our role to, uh, continue to push the needle forward and not to blow things up. Yeah. Well, the weird thing, right. Is like sometimes pushing the needle forward is blowing shit up. Mm-hmm. It's a that's weird dichotomy. We, isn't it? No though. Yeah, it that's goes, true. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier because we actually don't have the luxury not to continue to invent because we're not sustainable. (laughs) We we, we can't, we unfortunately cannot uh, feed everyone efficiently. Uh, There's uh, large wealth gaps. Uh, There's disease, you know, all the, all the, you know, thousand plus problems that, that we have as, as a race. Uh, If we just sit around, they're just going to get worse. So we uh, unfortunately have put ourselves in, Fortunately and unfortunately, I've put ourselves in a position where we just have to keep pushing. You think aliens are real? I, I don't think. I know they are. <laughs> I mean, it's just a, st- it's a statistical, yeah. you know, if you just run the, the probabilities, I mean, the, aliens not being real is, is a, a number so small, you can't even, it's, it's nearly impossible to think that we're the only ones in, in this uh, universe. You think they're abducting people? I don't think <laughs> I don't think that aliens have come to this planet. I think that that's um, a bit of a. I would like to believe it, but I think it's a bit of a fantasy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I want to believe, but it's just not real. I was actually talking to my buddy about this uh, a couple of days ago. Even if, right, let's say uh, a species was right in the grant holds uni- the universe twelve billion years or something like that. Yeah, thirteen so, points, some odd crazy shit. So let's say. Uh, uh, a planet similar to earth that can harvest life uh, started evolving life even 1 million years before us which is nothing on the scale of 12 billion years so if it started the exact same process that we are on right now just 1 million years before us imagine the human race if we are still around in 1 million years how much more advanced we would be compared to our race so let's take that into consideration so even if, let's assume that a, a, a race out there is just a million years more advanced than us, which is very possible, and they can space travel, they have somehow figured out how to travel at the speed of light, maybe they figured out how to travel through space, actually bending space, which is not an impossible concept. Uh, 
according to Einstein and these guys who are much smarter than I am. Um, let's say they figured that out. Even if they could travel like they were, if they were in Star Trek or Star Wars, the odds of them coming to our Earth in our galaxy are so, so, so small. It's like nearly, nearly impossible. So that's uh, kind of makes me sad when I think about it like that. Because I would love nothing more than (laughs) aliens to come to our our planet or have some sort of knowledge that uh, something else is out there. But man, as long as they're not coming to fucking chop my head off and take over, I'm down. (laughs) Yeah, stay on the couch. You know, ask them about the Andromeda galaxy or whatever the fuck they got going on. Hey, how's Spock doing? You know, that kind of stuff would be great. The weird thing about it, though, because I think. I think generally I have a relatively optimistic view of AI and and, and that sort of thing. I think that um, generally it's up to humans to control that. And there will be some devious motherfuckers out there. You know, your Kim Jong-uns and your Stalins and Lenins and Hitlers and Mussolinis and all those dudes that there's a chance they're going to do some fucked shit with it. But I think moreover, it'll be positive. But with the alien situation, I don't know, man, because every time I think about a species, species meet another one you know like the asian carp wasn't like you know looking to murder all the all the tiger salmon in the missouri river they just showed up and started swallowing yeah i mean like, it, let's let's face it if if we're visited by an alien race and they are hostile we're dead we have no we have no chance because <laughs> yeah. their technological superiority we wouldn't even be able to comprehend how much more advanced that they would be than us hopefully they're we, just we, like we, so nice we can't even travel to fucking mars yet you know it's in our back it's it's in our backyard and we you know we've only gone to the moon so if another species is coming to our planet that's uh potentially very bad news for us yeah i would say so (laughs) (laughs) the weird thing about the probability too is although it's very uh, uh it's a very small probability that they would find us right but you know the the universe is chaos like things just happen right? Like the whole, the whole basis of the universe is, is sort of like this chaotic randomized event that just spits out all these random mutations of various sorts in the forms of gases, gas planets, rock planets, all the species thereof, bacteria and all this shit. And so there is always that chance, bro. If, if I'm being honest with you, I, I deep down, I hope it happens. I want it to be real. I want it to be real. Me too, I, bro. There's nothing more that I want in my lifetime than to get some sort of sign that, yeah. uh, that there's something else out there. Yeah, it's like Bigfoot, you know? Like, I, and, and Bigfoot, it existed at some point. It was Gigantopithecus, right? It's like a, it's a bipedal hominid, giant, nine foot, 10 foot tall ape-like creature that lived thir- somewhere between 30 and 60,000 years ago. I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gigantopithecus is, is, is real. Um, and, and that's probably why Homo sapiens, the species, have sort of this legend of the Yeti, the Bigfoot, the Sasquatch, all these things and in various different parts of the world separately in, in sort of these origin stories. Um, but I just don't think they're hanging out anymore. And I goddamn no. wish they would. No, they're yeah. not. Have you heard about uh, <laughs> Kevin Kelly, founder of Wired? Uh, he's a part of a project that is trying to bring back woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers, uh, which is just mind-blowing that we are, you know, again, technology, medicine. It's unbelievable where we're at, you know, that we're going to be able to... Uh, bring back these creatures it's actually unbelievable yeah there was um there's there's a podcast called the meat eater podcast mm-hmm. by steve ranella <clears throat> and he's like this 
crazy intelligent sort of wildlife enthusiast mm-hmm. you know wildlife biologist type character and hunter and he has all these fascinating guests on and he had one of the girls that are working on that exact program with the woolly mammoth and it's interesting because it, it will what they were saying is it will look like a woolly mammoth it'll behave like a woolly mammoth but and actually like phenotypically it'll look like a woolly mammoth but it actually won't be fully woolly mammoth like you'll never be able to totally bring 100% of the species back because you have sure. to have sort of a host species. And so it'll be a hybrid no matter what happens. Um, and so like in real terms, it won't actually be it, but it'll look very similar to what it was. And what they were saying is using it as a solution for global warming, something to do with the permafrost and how, um, you know, woolly mammoths at one time uh, on this continent would, would perforate the ground and, and sort of um, in some form or factor. Again, these people are way smarter than I am. I have no fucking clue. But um, somehow it would suck up greenhouse gases and, and this sort of thing out, out of the atmosphere is a, is a possible solution. I'm all for it. Dude, me too. Sign I'm me all up. all for it. Buying me a saddle, you know? Give me some reins. I will fucking ride a woolly mammoth. Any day of the week. That'd be so awesome. That'd be the scariest tribe to ever come across in your entire life. If you're just chilling, right? You're just like in a hut or an igloo or whatever you're doing. And then some random tribe of dudes show up on woolly mammoths. (laughs) Fuck, dude. (laughs) Scary sight. It's terrifying. (laughs) It's terrifying. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, sort of the EDM culture. Um, I don't think there's any woolly mammoths in there, although I do see some people wearing uh, woolly mammoth type attire because <laughs> everyone like dresses up to go to yeah, raves. Yeah. Um, do you think that the, you know, the, the EDM scene when, when we were younger was really growing a lot. Mm-hmm. Like that was one, one of the birthplaces. I mean, it was in the, it was in the nineties for sure, like rape culture yep, and stuff, yep. but I feel like there was a resurgence, um, when we were a bit younger. And, uh, I just wonder like how that's changed over time. You're talking a little bit about sort of the, the outward public perception of it being purely drug fueled and, and all of this, which I think is, is, um, very much a reduction of what the genre is. Cause I, I love EDM. Yeah. Um, and I think as our generation grows a bit older, um, and we're not 21 and just trying to do crazy fuck shit all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how do you, do you think that will mature? Uh, you know, when you think of like classic rock, um, in the sixties and seventies and everybody's just doing, you know, LSD at Woodstock and that kind of shit. Uh, and now they're, you know, our parents or grandparents, um, they've chilled out, but they still listen to the same music. Do you, do you think that'll happen in the same in the same way with us? I do. I mean, uh, in the U.S., we're behind. You know, you go to Europe, right? Uh, and it's a much more mature, uh, older party crowd. You know, they're just listening to the music they're listening to is a bit different. It's more, you know, house music, some tech t- type of stuff. Um, and you know, you go to go to Ibiza, go to Mykonos, these type of party places, and it's there's not that many, you know, 21 year olds uh, there uh you know acting like they're in vegas or at the frat house type of thing it's a much more uh it's it's you know people are partying but it's not as uh chaotic i don't know exactly what you want to call it but uh it's a bit more controlled you know in the the uk and all over europe uh house music has been around and been popular much longer than it has in in the u.s of course you can go back to detroit and chicago and and stuff like that, the, the breeding grounds of dance music in, in the U.S. Uh, 
but uh, you know, it's been going on for in Europe for for a lot longer than it has here. And uh, when you go there, there's you know the our our parents, uh, but uh, our parents' age people, you know, they're still jamming out. They're they're still listening to house music, and they're going Listen to these to type the of house places. music. Yeah, yeah. So I I think uh, yes to answer your question. It's it's will continue to evolve. Uh, the culture will continue to evolve, and um, there will be uh, something different for everyone. You know, uh, the U.S. is very good at uh, commercial. You know, making things commercial very quickly and, and monetizing things. Um, so you'll always have the Vegas, uh, and I don't think it will leave Vegas because it's an elevated party experience. You know, if you go to the uh, EDM show, a dance music show, whatever you want to call it, in Vegas. And then you go see hip hop, um, you know, a rapper or something like that. Uh, it's a very different experience. And some people like the rap. I personally, I love rap um, and I like that experience, but it's not comparable to going and seeing a DJ at a club and people are going crazy. So uh, that will always be there. I think because it's, it's uh, you're not going to um, go away from an elevated party experience. There are people that are always going to want that. And then I think it will just continue to evolve as, as, as people get older and, you know, a little more sexy vibes, a little chill, you know, in, in nicer places, people that have a little bit more money to spend, uh, you know, we'll just uh, do elevated experiences. That is so fascinating to think about. Eleva- and even when you said elevated party experience, that's exactly what what it is too, right? I mean, it's like, and you can name your other genre of music, it doesn't matter. You're in the metal you're in the indie or folk or hip hop or whatever. It doesn't matter because Steve Aoki is going to fucking throw a way better party than any of them. Yep. Like it's just going to be frenetic, you know, like it's just going to be this crazy kinetic energy between humans. And the weirdest part about it is like a lot of those dudes, they don't even have to play the actual music. They don't have to do the music. They don't have to like produce it. While they're DJing it, they could just like press play on Spotify and just stand up, stand there with their fucking hands up and like everyone still loves it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, these guys are, um, you know, the best of the best, uh, they know how to control the crowd. I, I, it's yeah. unfortunate. I think there's a, uh, kind of a, a misconception. It's, it's, uh, you, people who are kind of haters in, in, in a sense will say, you know, DJs don't do anything. And of course there's people that stand up there and, uh, yes, they don't do much, you know, the, not to hate on Paris Hilton, but I, I can't imagine she's, you know, really crushing the decks when, oh, when she's, when she's doing her sets, you know, more <laughs> yeah. power to her because people come and see her play. So I'm 100%. not taking anything away from her, but, um, 100%. there are plenty of men and women who are extremely talented on the decks. You know, they got, you know four cdjs going at once they're controlling the crowd they're uh they're live mixing uh, we're talking about people who are playing these instruments similar to the way someone strokes a guitar or plays a piano um the difference is that the barrier to entry is much much lower you know you can teach someone in an hour how to play uh cdjs you know at, at the novice level right where you yeah. can't teach someone an hour how to play a guitar you know they're just going to sound like shit yeah um so i think that's where the um kind of the the bad image comes from but when you get to the top level 
of the people who are really controlling these parties and, and the music that they're playing, it, it is, it's an art without a doubt. It is. And when you watch them do it, you, you can tell, you know, and I've been making music forever and, you know, I was in a death metal band and, you know, I play a lot of acoustic guitar and sing and I was a chorus and choir and show choir and, um, you know, mess around with a lot of Ableton and Reason mm-hmm. and even FL Studio back in the day, um, you know, making beats and shit like that. And, and there is, especially when you're doing that shit live, there yeah. is absolute undeniable talent to that um the only thing they're saving on and i think it was i can't remember which classic rock guy this was it might have been ace freely or or it might have been gene simmons or one of these guys but what they were saying is the thing that edm has going for it which is so unique is that those guys can play every fucking night no problem and when you're doing something like singing you can't sing every single night you can your your vocal limitation will not allow you to do that um or even something like guitar like your fingers have to move so fast so often for so long like your body starts to to break down a bit and and edm in that way allows these guys to commercialize the music in a way that it's never been able to be done before and and therefore are are just infinitely more economically successful because they can play you know 10x the live shows that you know an opera singer or something like that can do which i think is fascinating yeah some i mean some of these guys are animals to go back to steve aoki he's uh, we've had the pleasure of working with him and demock and his entire team great people um i, I remember one time i was at their office and uh, his manager ted told me this must have been 2017 or 2016 that steve had done uh, 200 and i want to say 250 or 270 shows uh the year before something it, it was oh such it was God. such an absurdly high number <laughs> that i i was in such shock and you know he has nutritionists on the road i mean you know he's so dialed in in order to do that many nights i mean i, I don't care if you're not singing i mean that is just impressive you know oh, that yeah. that's that takes uh real discipline uh, talent and uh, a lot of stamina and, and energy from somewhere because you know these guys are you know they're uh, playing all night they're getting on planes jets getting very little amounts of sleep getting to the next you know the next show again uh, going back to what we started talking about the the very first thing that we said was everything seems a lot more glamorous from the outside <laughs> you know and of course uh, being a, a professional global touring DJ is I don't think anyone can argue it's probably one of the best professions. Uh, with that said, you know, it's not some sort of cakewalk, you know, you know, if you, if you're playing three, four nights a week, uh, that's a lot of strain on the body. You gotta, you gotta uh, eat right. You gotta try and get sleep in. You know, I've seen, uh, unfortunately I've been very close to a lot of careers where guys are drinking and excessively every night when they're playing you know it's very easy right you're in an incredible party environment when you're up on that stage and everyone's looking at you so i've been on that stage before but i obviously haven't been on the decks but many times i've been on that stage where the entire crowd is kind of you know funneling that energy towards you in 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 a sense and uh it's very easy i think for these guys uh to party aggressively and i've i've seen uh, some unfortunate things happen because of it uh so you really got to be on your game in order to be sustainable and then you got to find time to make music you had to find time to you know to do all all, all these things to have a career so it's very impressive that is such a fucking beast man you know and and to think you know someone like steve aoki is like this 
this just like, you know, crazily successful dude who, when you see him on stage, like what he does up there is just insane. You know, and the way that he controls the room, like you're saying, it takes so much energy and to bottle that night after night. And these are late nights, right? Because the thing about uh, EDM shows, like they go late. Yeah. You know, and like you said, there's this this very distinct, more distinct than, again, any other genre, party atmosphere, mm-hmm. which is so much more conducive to drinking, partying, et cetera, et cetera, than even a rock show or a rap show or a whatever, because people are there to party yeah. and you are the fucking God on stage. Everyone's partying too. And, you know, when, when you see guys at the top of their game like that, do it, it's, it's crazily impressive. I, I would imagine that along with the nutritionist, you got to have a personal trainer of some kind, like making sure you're staying in shape and like maybe a massage therapist or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, you need a little bit of everything. Yeah. I think, I don't know if you've had the chance to see the Avicii documentary. If you haven't, you, you, you know, you should, it's yeah. uh, and I mean, that gives everyone in the world a glimpse at, what can you know he was uh such a sad story obviously uh he was outside of that stage when he was on those decks he was a broken man you know he was in so many ways sad depressed had so you know so many issues obviously and it was shown in that documentary and i think at one point he mentioned uh but every time even you know at the at the lowest levels that he was even when he would get up on that stage that was kind of the only thing that kept him going in a sense is that it's almost an, an addiction right it's they're they're chasing that he was it seems like chasing that high of course i i don't know him uh but it seems yeah. like from in my opinion he was you know he was chasing the high and then it, it it killed him unfortunately yeah it's one of those sad stories and you know you you see it time and time again too right and it, it's avici you know it's janice joplin it's Jimi mm-hmm. hendrix mm-hmm. you know it's 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 all these guys and gals that you know, usually late twenties. Like I don't remember what the year is, but some some twenty eight, twenty seven, twenty seven, uh, twenty two. Yeah, yeah, it's one of there is an age. It's There's where Hendrix, Janice, a lot of people died. Yeah, yeah. And I think Avicii was right in that range. Yeah, yeah. I think he was twenty eight or something. And it, it it does go to show you, you know, like you said, it seems glamorous on the outside. Everything does. Um, and typically, you're only going to see the outside, right? You're going to see the party, or you're going to see the business, or you're going to see, you know, press. Or you're going to see all this stuff. But what's going on in between somebody's two ears at nighttime, you don't know, you know, and, and with him, that, that was one of the most surprising things. Cause you know, on paper, it's like, this dude's got easily one of the coolest jobs of all time, universally loved right in, in the industry and, and, you know, by people listening to the music and, um, you know, it, it can just take that turn at some point if you're, if you're not taking care of your mental health. He was isolated. And that yeah. just led me to think of Anthony Bourdain as well. Everyone said, you know, this guy was a legend, loved by millions of people. You know, you ask anyone, oh man, I would love to have Anthony Bourdain's job. Travel the world, the most beautiful places, eat food, you know, hang out with all different types of culture and people from uh, all different, you know, wealth and class and everything in between. Uh, and he was alone. He admitted it. He, he said, I, you know, I'm, I feel isolated and alone and he took his life, you know, so unbelievably sad. So, you know, it's, um, you know, the grass, the grass is always greener statements, uh, you know, on the other side is, is definitely rings true. I think it's important just to 
be grateful for what you have, you know? It is. It's, it's be grateful for what you have. And then also, and we we're talking about this earlier, like figure, figure that out in advance. Yeah. to rightly strategies to hedge against it you know um having that self-awareness to say mm, what are the thoughts going through my head yeah. right recognize them as such okay that's a bad thought <laughs> let that one go right on by yeah. that's that's not me right okay what's what's the next thought oh it's a bad one too <laughs> let that one go by too and tell one of the good thoughts come be like okay I'll, I'll think about that thought for a while right and 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 maybe i'll go exercise tomorrow so I can get some of that good juice in there. And then maybe, you know, building those things in and, and taking care of your, of your mental health, no matter what you're doing, no matter if you're a janitor or a coal miner or a nurse or an LPN, you know, any of this stuff, an entrepreneur, a musician, um, you know, TV show host, it's, it's one of those things where you have to realize what's going on in your meat vehicle, you know, and just keep that thing lubed up, especially with the brain, you know, because that's the weirdest thing is that's the thing you don't see. You see everything else. Like, you break your leg. I'm like, ah, oh, dude, what'd you do to your leg? Like, yeah. it looks so yeah. fucked up, right? Maybe it's amputated even. Meanwhile, I don't know what's going on with your amygdala. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, um, no one else is going to see it. Only you'll see it. Yeah, I, you always hear, uh, you know, sometimes the people that you never expect who are depressed, right, and are ha- having these issues, they seem like they're doing just fine uh, on the outside. Um, I'm been fortunate enough uh where i i don't um you know obviously the chemical imbalances for people is so sad and i i've been fortunate not to not to have that and i've never dealt with depression or anything like that but um i've seen it and it's just uh it's terrible of course there's nothing in this world no amount of money or job or anything that is worth uh you know anguish and mental pain and depression you know and if anything that you can do to kind of get out of a funk is, is, is worth it. You know, it's just, uh, it's really sad to see people go through. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and at least for me, music is something that always makes me feel better. Yeah. Is it the same for you? I feel like music is like this, it's like this jubilation you can just get from it sometimes or like it'll even make you do weird shit. Like maybe you're about to give up on an exercise and you got the right song on and the fucking excision kicks in. And it's like, it's <laughs> <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> it's just that universal language, right? Yeah. You know, I think it's one, right. You know, even if you, you can go to a show and, uh, uh, there could be, you know, 50 different languages there. People, no one can speak to one another, but everyone can understand, right? The music that's going on. Yeah. So I think it's, it is that universal language that, that people can relate to and connect with. Yeah, that's sick. That is sick. And it's cool that you have a business that's just so intimately associated with it. You know, I, I find that uh, super duper fascinating. Um, and it's in a way that, um, you know, a lot, if you're a manager or you're putting on venues or things like, of course that's directly related, but um, to have a business that, that is just one step removed from that is really fascinating because you're not contingent upon that, right? You're, you're providing like a service to the, we got one foot in. Yeah. Yeah. One foot in. Yeah. 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 It's been a pleasure. It's cool. Honestly working in within the dance music community, very tight knit community. Uh, people look out for one another. Uh, you know that's some of the stuff i think the uh that that people kind of make fun of it for you know that yeah the whole plur thing but uh when you really dissect it it's uh it's it's incredible because we've had 
customers and fans and uh, the artists that we've been able to work with uh, have all been fantastic. It's it's been quite the journey. I, I wouldn't replace it for anything. I can't imagine you would. Yeah. Um, and so it's Electric Family. And where can people find this shit? Electricfamily.com. Electricfamily.com. And uh, does it have an Instagram as well? It sure does. At Electric Family on uh, all the socials, Twitter, Instagram. All the good stuff. Facebook's a bit irrelevant now. No one uses it anymore. Yeah, I don't think they do either. <laughs> but you can also find them there. Um, the designs are fucking sick. Um, they, they really, truly are. And, you know, I, I love to design students. So every time I, I go on and, and uh, look at all the things you're doing, um, it's it's super cool and super special. So well, I appreciate that, bud. And yeah. you're obviously a, a huge inspiration to me with everything that you're doing. It, it's uh, really incredible. Yeah, man. Likewise. Um, well, thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Likewise. We did it. Anytime. Boo! That was awesome. Thank you everybody for listening And also thank you in advance for subscribing to the show And leaving it a 5 star review Also thank you for sharing it with your friends That you think would also enjoy it And thank you to Drew Nylon of Electric Family And until next time I'll chat at you then Peace